Hey guys, welcome back to another week of the 50th Take Podcast. As you guys know, my name is Tanner Hayworth, and I am joined by my lovely co-host Tyler Higashi, and we're here to bring you another week of thrilling and stunning college football and professional football news. Now, unfortunately, we are going to be having running into an issue today, and Tyler can help you bring you guys up on that. Yeah, I'm pretty sick, guys. Uh, just feeling, I've been feeling a little under the weather this week, but um, you know, luckily I'm in good health and it's not COVID. So uh, I'm just gonna power through this one. So if my audio is a little stuffy, then you know why. Alrighty, on that note, let's go ahead and jump straight into probably one of the bigger news stories, at least for us. You know, we're both from Hawaii. We try to cover every single Hawaii game. And Hawaii probably had its best chance at winning a game this year. It was completely winnable, and it was just very disappointing to watch as San Jose State made the trek to Hawaii to the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex, uh, and they beat the Warriors 17-14, to uh, 17-13, to sorry, as Hawaii did try to lead a last-minute drive for a touchdown, but unfortunately they could not uh, convert that into a score. So first of all, I just want to go straight into initial reactions because I would say for many Hawaii fans, this was definitely a game that we can all agree that it was a very winnable game. We were up 7 to nothing, and for much of the game, the defense was very much... They very much kept San Jose in check, whether it be playing amazing run defense probably the best run defense we've seen in a very long time as well as our corners balling out and you know capitalizing on a lot of drops that did happen for san jose state's uh, receivers and tight ends Uh, but i want to get your opinion on this one tyler especially because it was a 12 30 a.m uh kickoff for you i mean what was your reaction to that well, I mean, that, that game was honestly uh, quite the disappointment. Uh, I stayed up all the way till 4 a.m. to watch. It's honestly probably the reason why I'm sick, if, I, if I'm being real. Um, but, man, I, I just... After these losses, you know, it just feels like we are just stuck in, in kind of like the, the era of UH football that we all don't like to remember. You know, that's with, you know, Norm Chow and Greg McMackin, but, I mean, it's it feels too early to say that. I mean, Todd Graham has only had one year with, with the program. Um, but, um, I don't know, just looking at the final stats of the game, I mean, we are almost 100 more total yards, especially our rushing game, uh, more than doubling that of San Jose. We had less turnovers, uh, we had less penalty yards, and we had greater time in possession. But... Unfortunately, we stalled out at the worst times. Our penalties came at the worst times, and it was very difficult for us to put points on the board. And, you know, quite frankly, and this goes back to what I said in week one, a lot of my concern with the program right now is not actually Todd Graham, but it's it's with his son, uh, Bo. Having Bo as the offensive coordinator, I feel like puts a lot of the staff, especially on offense, in kind of a, a tricky position, right? Because, you know, it, let's say that Bo, you know, and I, I can't really speak on his character without knowing too many inside sources on that, but if he cannot take accountability for the struggles that the offense is having, 
who's going to push back onto him? You know what I mean? Like, you know, if, if the offense is struggling, it's going to be really hard to tell the coach's son, like, hey, this isn't working. Because obviously, I, I feel like, you know, if, if my dad was in charge of something and I was a part of it, I, I feel like, despite my best interests, there, there would be some sort of bias that I would have you know, towards myself or like towards whatever my, my father's telling me. And so if, it, if it's an echo chamber in the Graham household, you know, it's going to be really hard to get Hawaii's offense going. And I, I know that you pushed back on that, uh, Tanner, in week one. But, I mean, now that we've seen uh, Bo uh, and his struggles throughout the year, I mean, how are you feeling about his, his job as the offensive coordinator? I feel like there's much to improve on. I don't think it's a lost cause. Bo Graham moved into play calling at the end of last year. And we saw near the end of last year, they did have a really solid offense. Um, and to clarify, uh, today, Todd Graham did come out and say that he takes full responsibility for both the offense and the defense's performance. He doesn't want any of the blame on Bo. He doesn't want any of the blame on Shevin. As a head coach, I think he's come out to the public and said, this is my fault, I will take responsibility. And I think that's really great to hear from Todd, especially because he hasn't been very uh, vocal kind of outside. Because I work for ESPN and we've been kind of struggling to kind of get any University of Hawaii coach. Now, whether that be because of, you know, uh, practice schedule, or, you know, just like wrong place, wrong time. It gets incredibly frustrating when, as a radio station, you do want to market your team, market the team that we represent, and the coaches aren't necessarily putting themselves out there for that to happen. If there was a pandemic happening, I doubt this wouldn't be happening. Like, we used to have Call the Coach, where we would go out to a, uh, a Ruby Tuesday and have, you know, Bobby Curran, uh, the voice of University of Hawaii, and two coaches or a couple players, and they come out to the a restaurant and they'd have just like a live Q and A with all the fans, and we were starting that, but because due to the pandemic, they had to put that on hiatus. But I think Todd coming out and saying, "Put the blame on me. I'm the head coach. I'll take responsibility for that," is a strong step forward. Now I hope going against this weekend, New Mexico State. For the first time this year. Because we will be going against them twice this year. For some reason. I'm not sure why. Um, I hope that Bo does what he did against Portland State. Where we came out uber aggressive. And scored 28 points in the first quarter. We need more of that offense. And that's not necessarily saying our offense was bad. We did stall out a lot. But there were a lot of really good moments in that game. Whether it be Nick Marner having another breakout game, I'm very excited to see what his trajectory comes out. Look, I'm not surprised. I'm going to say this right now. It's kind of like a weird time to put this in. I won't be surprised if in the future Nick Marner isn't a first or second round pick. I think if he develops and stays on this track, he's a 6'6 receiver that is nimble and fast and can make tough catches along the sideline. I think he's going to be one of our highest drafted receivers since Ashley Lelly in 2004, 2005, when he was first-round pick for the Broncos. So 
I'm excited about that. I want to see more Calvin Turner, like we all do, but I don't think we should force him down our throats. He's a better receiver. He's not super great of a in-between-the-back running back. Use him for Wildcat. Use him for slants on the outside or a streak here or there. And use him for outside runs. I like that. I don't like Calvin Turner going in between the tackles. I like Diedrich Parson and Day-Day Hunter going in between the tackles because they're strong. They're fast. I'm not saying that Calvin isn't fast, but I like them both because they push the they push the pile when they get tackled. I want to see more of that. I want to see more of Shevin designed runs. I love to see that because, let's be real, he's not the greatest passer. I want to see more Jared Smart, even though he fumbled with his only reception of the game. I want to see more Jonah Pinoke now that he's back from injury. I want to see more True Edwards. There's... I, and I want to see less of Aaron Cephas. Aaron Cephas is a number 28. He's been playing a lot this year. He's dropped so many balls. And I don't want to put the blame on him, put the blame on Shevin, but something's not working there. And it's just frustrating to keep watching that. So for the offense and Bo Graham, it's been a very disappointing start. But we're not even a quarter of the way into the season. That's true. We still but, got I mean, na- let's, let's we still have this. we still have nine more games. And they're all going to be tough games, so we're going to be punching up. So other than the New Mexico State games and maybe Colorado State, all games, we are underdogs. Every single game, we should be playing with an aggressiveness to score as many points as possible rather than to score, and then hopefully we can stop them from scoring while we wait the clock out because that's not realistic. I mean, that's exactly how Mark D'Antonio played his football towards the end of his career here at Michigan State. And, I mean, let's look at this right here. When we are playing New Mexico State this weekend, we are favored by 17 points. Do you honestly believe, with the over-under being 58.5, do you honestly believe that we, we can put up that many points, Tanner? Yeah, we did against Portland State. With Hawaii's offense, I just, I don't know. Here, here's what I'm thinking, all right? Even though we're underdogs in the games that you mentioned, when we had Rolovich, you know, any opinions about him outside of football aside, uh, it always felt like we had a chance in, in a lot of these games. And, it, you know, at the beginning of the season, it kind of felt the same way. You know, when we were ta- talking about uh, the UCLA game before it happened, you know, we, we we told ourselves, you know, Hawaii has a chance. And then, you know, it, it, it was obviously different during the game. During the or- Oregon State game, it felt like Hawaii had a chance. And it just feels a lot worse being a fan of a team where you know deep down inside, like, we don't have a chance against these guys. And in a division and a conference where there are some some breakout performances this year from namely Fresno State and you know Boise State always consistently being good, it just feels kind of terrible to, to just be in a situation where you're you're kind of losing faith as a fan, especially after we had so much success over the past few years. This is my argument for that. I agree with the Fresno State thing. I think Fresno State's the best team out of the Mountain West right now. They're better than Boise. They're better than San Jose, who is the defending champs, because they had a really great performance, not only against the, in their win against UCLA, but in their loss against Oregon. But other than that, I genuinely believe we have a chance in every single game, other than Fresno State. Fresno State, we could probably do something. We're at home. We can try something out. They do have to travel here. As much as we say we don't have any fans, we still have the advantage of they do have to fly to Hawaii. So that was, that is our biggest 
uh, what's it called, home field advantage. But, you know, looking at Nevada, last year I didn't think we had a chance and we beat them because of our defense. And seeing our performance with San Jose State, I think we could repeat that. Looking at New Mexico State again, we probably do the same thing. Utah State's pretty much an unknown. They're undefeated right now, but I like our chances against them. San Diego State, it's going to be much of the same deal that we always see from them. But we beat them two years ago by stopping the run, something we never really do, except for last week when we hold San Jose State to 50 yards rushing. So as much as I want to be like, oh no, we have no more season, we're only going to win one more game, it's just like, I just think we just got to, you know, in the words of Aaron Rodgers, we got to relax. We're 1-3 right now, true. But we can still go bowling. We can still win well, at least six games in this schedule. And if we could win more than that, I'd be more than happy. All I want is just, like, I see all these games that can happen. And if we come close, I feel better than being blown out. I know it's a weird opinion to say that because I feel like a lot of people like to say, uh, like, a blowout loss is way better than a close loss. I hate that. A blowout loss is just, like, dumb because then you're like, oh, well, we did terrible. But, like, Shevin threw a touchdown. This game, it was winnable. So why not be happy in the fact that we can beat the defending Mountain West champion? We can come close to that. We see, we now see what we did wrong so we can work on that. Whereas with a blowout loss, it's just like, oh, yeah, we had a huge r- three big runs. But other than that, it was a really good game. So I just think a close loss is going to be much more just helpful for a team than a blowout loss is. Like, true, you're going to feel probably even more emotionally hammered after that. But But for the next week, I think it's just a lot of stuff to build on for the upcoming season. No, nah, I mean, it, it, it was a close loss to San Jose State on paper. But, I mean, if you take away the drops by both teams, Hawaii's drops happen, you know, in between the 30s. But San Jose had multiple home run touchdown possible catches that they dropped. They had drops in the red zone. They had drops all over the field. And, you know, it can be said that, you know, maybe their receivers are playing scared because we have corners and safeties who can hit or hard-hitting um, and, and quick to break on the ball. But it can also be said that, hey, I mean, if you take a lot of those drops away, it becomes an entirely different game. And unfortunately, I mean, it, the game, if you took away all drops, the game becomes a massive blowout loss to San Jose State at home. And, I mean, that's just, it's a, a what-if that, you know, it's really hard to explore. But, I mean, that that's just what I noticed when I was watching the game. It's like, man... You know, this guy has three steps on Kai Kaneshiro over the top. If that if that ball gets caught, seven on the board, six on the board. So, I don't know. It's 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 a what if to say something like that, but I just want to make it known that, you know, hey, the, the score is not really indicative of how, how wide open our, our defense was. But True, but then you could also say, oh, Sheffield Kaneshiro was 18 of 39. If he completed all those passes, then... Nick Starkle was 23-50. If he completed all those passes, then it's just a matter of, like, yeah, situationally, a drop is just like, oh, man, the receiver must have had a mind lapse then. 
then why do you think he had a lapse of the mind? It's not because he's just like, oh, I think I'll just drop this ball for fun. I think it's a matter of we don't know. That's the thing. We don't know if it's because it was the defense talking, you know, talking crap, or if it was the offense not performing as well. It doesn't matter because guess what? Drops happen in the NFL. It happens all the time, and you just have to live with it. It's just like while you if you run the ball and you get stopped at the one yard line, you're like, oh, that's actually just because the running back uh, just fell there, not because of the presence of the entire D line or the other defense. But I do see what you mean. There was a a drop touchdown that did happen a couple of times, and it does scare you. But you have to also revel in the fact that that helps us win games. Drops Mm -hmm. happen for both teams. And I think for going both ways, it would be a very different game if all of San Jose State and all of Hawaii receivers caught all the balls that they dropped. Because how many first downs were dropped by Calvin Turner and Aaron Cephas? So it's just a whole matter of if this, then this, then this. And then it just becomes a whole domino reaction of, well, if then, if this, but no, but then if this. So it's just, it's a lot of arguments about hypotheticals. And that's when it becomes really frustrating. And I think that's why fans are frustrated. Because they're in their head saying, we did good, but what if they caught all those balls? I think we just revel in the fact that, hey, our defense did a fine job. We could have stopped them when... But I think that punt block effed us up. If that punt block doesn't happen, I think it's a I think it's a win for us personally. And that's you know, but that's college football. We're not watching professionals play. We're watching a bunch of, you know, kids in their twenties play football and it's a lot of fun. And it's you know we all revel in the fact that hey, we're not out there, we're just watching games, so that's my opinion on it. All right, so earlier I had uh, touched on the fact that Todd Graham is in his second year of coaching UH. And last year they had a 5-4 and four record, um, but, uh, you know, 50 in, in uh, conference play. But when we, we think about Todd Graham, I feel like the expectations were at a certain level uh, for this year. I feel like if you're – it's not hard to say that if you are – Calvin Turner, who made a big decision to come back to play this year for us, you envisioned that this season would maybe start off a little differently or with a different energy. But I want to talk about another coach in my life that um, has had the exact same amount of time as Todd Graham to kind of make this this transition. And I want to talk about Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker, a uh, former uh, NFL coach, a uh, former Wisconsin Badger, he is the new head coach of Michigan State football. When Mark D'Antonio retired, he awfully uh, ruined any chances of, of us having a great start to the Mel Tucker era. Uh, he retired the day before uh, National Signing Day, and we, we definitely lost a lot of recruits off of that, recruits that had committed to D'Antonio. And of course, D'Antonio's recruiting towards the end was, was kind of poor, um, but it definitely didn't do Mel any favors. And when you look at our performance last year, we went two and five. Uh, two, two of the games that we were supposed to play against Maryland were canceled due to COVID. And a lot of people, I mean, just, okay, those two wins were against, uh, let's see, 
were against a number 13 Michigan at Ann Arbor, which is a huge game to win for not only your fan base, but just to send a message for the program. And against number 8 Northwestern at home, who eventually would go on to play in the Big Ten Championship against Ohio State. And, you know, 2-5 and five with those marquee wins, it, it was, you know, so-and-so. And everybody thought that the Mel Tucker rebuild was going to take a few years. Three to four years was what uh, I was seeing on average from, from fans saying, you know, we're, we're willing to wait this long. But, I mean, call this an overreaction or not, what he's done in the building between walking in on February 5th to right now, it's just been incredible. And as somebody who's in the building, I can feel it in the air. The air feels different in the building now that Mel Tucker has installed what I would call a culture. It's a new culture for Michigan State football. I mean, we've we've opened the season this year 3-0, and winning games that nobody thought we were going to win. This weekend, we, we beat Miami at home 38-17, to despite the temperature on the field being over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. And that comes from conditioning, that comes from health and nutrition, but it also comes from a change in culture. When Miami's getting tired in the fourth quarter, but your guys are saying, hey, they're tired, we can beat them, and then you pile on 21 points. It's a, it's a different type of mentality when, when your guys can go out there. And we've said this time and time again, going into halftime, going into the second half, it's really hard to make adjustments. It's really hard to play better football because you're tired, you're sweaty. But Mel Tucker has coached this team to not only believe in themselves, but to believe in each other. After the Rutgers game to start off the season where we had over five turnovers, he, he told them, guys, we cannot be fumbling the ball. Turnovers is what loses us games. This season, we've only had one fumble the entire season. It, it was a fumble by Harold Joyner, transfer running back from Auburn, but he got, he got hit in the head so hard that he had to be taken off the field. And so I don't blame him for that one. But accountability is part of the new culture. Um, and honestly, I'm just disappointed at the juxtaposition because both of my uh, college football uh, teams that I follow, they were both at the same crossroads. Nick Rolovich had taken us to the highest Hawaii football has been in a long time, and he left the program. D'Antonio has taken Michigan State football to one of the lowest points in the last decade or so and left the program. But the two coaches that have been hired, they, I mean, it really, it's like night and day. As a Spartan fan, I feel like every week we have skin in the game, underdog or not. Every week it feels like we're 0-0 zero and, zero and, and we have a chance. But when I'm watching Hawaii football and I'm trying to get hyped for Hawaii football, it just feels a lot less exciting. And I, I don't know if that's Todd's fault. I don't know if it's because I'm farther away from home or if, if it's because we don't have fans in the stands. But just something as a fan in me just feels different. And it's honestly kind of disappointing. And I, I really do wish the best for Todd Graham and for Hawaii football because I, I, I would like a time when both of my teams are doing well. And um, we have yet to see that from Todd Graham, in my opinion. So what do you think about that, Tanner? What do you think about culture? How important is that to you? I don't want to bring up excuses because it's not my situation to be, you know, say this is probably how he feels. But being in Hawaii right now is a rough situation. So... As you all know, we are the only school in Division One football 
to not be having fans. Our governor has constantly shot down any plans of possibly even having the parents of these kids in a 9,000 seat stadium spread out like 200 people because I don't know why um I know Todd Graham is not allowed to bring in recruits to be recruited so that's also a big issue so I don't know how recruitment's gonna come in the future but Last week, when we had the just the band in the stadium, which was a miracle, because they kind of found a loophole, just kind of say, oh, for education's sake, they can they have to play, because it's the whole thing of you know grading and all that stuff. But just having them in the stadium compared to the Portland State game was amazing and true. We won the Portland State game and we lost the San Jose game, but having the energy at least of not only just the band. But, like, the people in the band cheering for the team, it was a huge difference. I mean, you saw Brennan, like, losing his mind. We caused confusion from the band. So, and one, there are two big differences here, I think, in Michigan State and Hawaii. First of all, fans. You guys have fans. And you have a pretty huge freaking stadium to put fans in. So, that's a lot of noise happening. It's a lot of hype. And if... Like all football players now, you derive a lot of energy from fans. And second is, like, I don't want to throw, like, the whole thing in, but they're also two very different schools. Oh, I mean, of course, different budget, different recruiting Different budget, different recruiting, different, like, expert. It's just, like, like, Michigan State coming off of that year would probably still beat Hawaii to a pulp last year. Just because the level of talent is so much different. And I don't want to have that as an excuse. But that would be my first point. Against UCLA, we were obviously outmatched. And against Oregon State, we were outmatched athletically. Now, I don't want to bring into account, but like, kind of near the end, like Nick Rolovich, his recruiting was going okay. Like, he brought in some solid guys. But I'm excited to see from this second year of recruiting from Todd Graham because what's really interesting about Todd Graham is he brings in a new pipeline which is Texas I mean two of our biggest recruits are from Texas and Braden Shager the backup quarterback who will be starting if not this year then next year but then also we brought in this free safety who I'm very excited to see grow and blossom into that defense I think we just, like I said before, we got to relax. It's two different trajectories. I think Todd Graham will finish this year, and he'll probably have another year or two. He shouldn't be fired. We, as a program, probably can't even afford that. But we just have to realize Well, I'm right not now, saying he should be fired. No, no, but I do know a lot of people want him fired, which is dumb. Okay, that's, I've, that's kind of unreasonable. One of... One thing I always see when I, because I'm in charge of reading texts and, you know, and all that stuff for our station. I see this one this morning was fire Graham and bring back Rolo. I don't want Rolo back. Neither I'm do I. genuinely I'm sure serious. a lot of people don't. Whether it be, I think it's just as a personality thing now. I don't want Rolo back. He brings... Let's not forget he straight up punched a reporter on the field. 
I feel like that's a story that like just kind of got shoved down because there was never really like any hard proof that he did. But it's just. I mean, you don't want even want to hear an allegation like that coming I don't, from your head coach. You don't want to hear that, and then you also don't want your head coach being sued by a student suing your football program. You don't want your football coach not getting the vaccination when every single Pac-12 coach has gotten the vaccination, and then come out and be like, oh, "We're gonna," I'm out here following the mandate. I'm following the mandate, and it's just ridiculous. He's probably ruined any trajectory of him being a head coach ever again in the NCAA. Mm-hmm. I will be genuinely surprised if Nick Rolovich can get another like position like being a head coach again it, when, he, when he gets fired this year from Washington State. And that's so gross to say because he has a family. He has four uh-huh. kids. He's going to be fired from Washington State because of his own stupidity. I mean, hey, that's and That's my opinion on Rolo. And that's and probably the before, most heated you're ever going to hear me on this podcast. <laughs> before we move on, it kind of feels like you're talking about Scott Frost, Tanner. Before we move on to our NFL discussion, I just want to touch on one more thing uh, that, that you had mentioned. And, you know, of course, not using it as an excuse for Todd Graham. The Big Ten and Mountain West are two completely different scenarios. Different budgets, uh, just different athletes. You're recruiting at a different level. But at the same time, the competition scale also goes up. You know, it's not every day that your your um, your matches are against Big Ten opponents or against the SEC or the ACC. And, I mean, I, I at the same time, like, I know you're not trying to use that as an excuse to defend Todd Graham. But, I mean, at the same time, in my opinion, just everything scales, right? Our Michigan State's biggest opponent in the Big Ten it, you know, I, as much as I'd love to say it's Ohio State, it's not. Ohio State is is just at the level of football that we need to get to one day. But the main people that we're we're recruiting against are Indiana, Michigan, maybe Penn State. But I mean that that could be said for Hawaii as well. I mean it is different. We are all the way across the ocean. But um, yeah, I don't know. There's challenges at every place, and just some people find a way to overcome those challenges. And uh, I, I wish the best for Todd Graham. I, I do think that he has what it takes. I just need to see some some evidence of that. All right, so moving on, we are going to be switching topics now to the NFL. And Tanner, it is time to start our way too early MVP discussion. Who do you want to start with? So like how Tyler mentioned, this is only post week two of the NFL. It is way too early to be predicting these things, but... It's fun to start trying to get this list going. So I mean, I had we started all, last week, we would have had Jameis Winston on this list, but we all know how that's Exactly. <laughs> Jameis Winston would probably be number one on there. But I think, first of all, you have to mention the guy who replaced Jameis Winston at number one right now, which is Tom Brady. Um, I don't know what else I can say about Tom Brady that hasn't been said before. Sure, he threw a couple picks in the first game. But last week against Atlanta, he did go 276 yards in five touchdowns, which is pretty crazy. Two to Gronk again, by the way. Gronk has now four touchdowns in two weeks. So anyone who was lucky enough to pick up in fantasy is very happy. So I know my brother is very happy about that. But Tom Brady's just built different. 
He's 44. I mean, it um, honestly sure. looks like he's aging backwards. He looks young. Like, <laughs> if you, if anyone ever has the chance, go ahead and look up a photo of Tom Brady in 2000. He's just a different person. It's it's honestly the funniest thing ever. And now looking at number two, we're going to go down to the Red Sea. That is the Arizona Cardinals and their main guy, quarterback Kyler Murray, coming out on his third year, coming out of Oklahoma with Cliff Kingsbury on his side. He is starting off this year with just under 700 yards passing. He's got seven touchdowns to his name, including two more on the rushing side, which is very interesting because those are the only two rushing touchdowns that the Cardinals have are from Kyler Murray. So I think right now he is going to be falling into that Russell Wilson space where he's going to be really amazing offensively for his team, and it's going to be very exciting football to watch. I think what's going to be his main crux is if he can keep this consistent down the year because that's been the main issue for Russell Wilson is that he does like to generate a lot of MVP hype in the beginning of the year have everyone question, well, how come this guy doesn't have any MVP votes? And then see why he doesn't generate any MVP votes, because by the end of the year, the Seahawks are basically limping into the playoffs. So hopefully Kyler Murray can keep consistent, keep strong at the game, and I'll be very excited to watch him. And now, I think this is a very interesting third player to talk about. It's going to be Derek Carr of the Las Vegas Raiders. I made a lot of mistakes this week calling them the Oakland Raiders, but he's kind of going back into those Oakland Raiders days of about five years ago where he and Carson Wentz were battling it out for the MVP because they were both leading their teams to impressive playoff runs. Now, the Raiders have not been to the playoffs since Derek Carr broke his fibula that year, and he's playing probably the best football of his career right now. And under John Gruden, I think this is finally the kind of football that a lot of uh, Raiders fans were expecting for them after hiring him to a 10-year, $100 million deal. But of course, you also have to remember they started out 2-0 last year as well. And we know eventually they uh, fell out of the playoffs and did not make it in there. Now, that's my main top three going into the MVP talks. Uh, what are you thinking about, Tyler? I mean, of course, uh, a guy that comes to mind for me real quick is Lamar. Dude has the entire team on his back. Single-handedly probably won them their two games. And, I mean, not to discredit any anything that... One game. The Raiders beat Are them. they one and one? Oh, yeah. I, you know what? No, but, I mean, Lamar still did really amazing in that game. If it weren't well, for, like, a missed block, he they would probably be winning that game. That's true, that's true. I, I just think Lamar, especially in his performance this past weekend, I, I feel like he is just a different kind of football player. And, you know, even if he doesn't win the MVP, I mean, it just feels good that we we have a lot of young guys in this league who are, are the future of the NFL. I mean, Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray, um, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes. And uh, speaking of Patrick Mahomes, I also feel like he still deserves to be in the MVP contention. Uh, they did lose to Lamar over the weekend, but um, I mean Patrick Mahomes is just a different guy. He can he can do anything that you need him to do, um, and of course it's a little too early to count him out of the MVP race. And um, on you that know, note, Tyler, Tanner, 
I was going to say, I really liked how you mentioned that there's a lot of really great young players that you mentioned, like, that are going to be really great playing football 10 years from now. Like, you're talking about Justin Herbert. He's a really great rising star coming out. We are seeing Kyler Murray grow into a really great player. You bring up Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. I mean, looking down 10 years in the future, Tom Brady's probably going to be looking like he's 20 years old by then and still be dominating the league 10 years from now, as we all know. Anytime we think Tom Brady's going to be falling down a cliff, he's just going to be like, oh, sorry, uh, three more Super Bowl wins? All right, cool. Thank you. Well, it felt like you were about to set me up to talk about Daniel Jones. A young quarterback oh, if I was If I was going to be talking about a young quarterback that looked good for the future, I wouldn't be talking about Daniel Jones. Well, I felt like you were going to put me down there for a second. But let me just say this. Before we hop into the Kahlua picks for this week. Let me just say, the Thursday night game, man, we really could have won that. But for the first time, I don't think it was Daniel Jones' fault. And I feel like a lot of people uh, are very negative on Daniel Jones. And I just... Look, in the game, we had a lot of potential, just like uh, San Jose State, actually. We had a lot of touchdown passes that were dropped. We had a Daniel Jones run, a touchdown run that was called back for holding. We had numerous penalties throughout the game where we shot ourselves in the foot, all the way up until the second-to-last play, where we would have won off of a missed field goal by the Washington football team, but a offsides penalty by our defense uh, caused us to uh, caused them to re-kick and us to lose the game. And I mean, on the seeing on the sideline are our new very expensive wide receiver Kenny Galladay blowing up in the face of Daniel Jones, uh, upset that he's not being targeted in these in, in important game situations. It just feels like the locker room is a little uneasy right now, and I can say that going all the way back to training camp uh, during the off season, to- tons of fights either between players on the Giants between, amongst themselves or with other teams that we were practicing against. It just, I hope that Joe Judge has uh, a lot of control over this, uh, this locker room. And I mean, being a Belichick disciple, I feel like he has the ability to be kind of like a, like a, a leader who is not going to keep up with your BS. But just, I don't know, it just feels like our discipline, both on and off the field, needs a little work. And... Um, for once, I, I congratulate Daniel Jones on a fantastic game. I kind no of turnovers. Um, and, man, if, if we get a couple of those touchdowns back, and like you said earlier, you know, drops happen. Drops happen at every level of the game. But, man, Darius Slayton dropping two wide-open touchdown passes, that, that definitely hurts us. So, I mean, hopefully we can just move on from that and, you know, go blue. But um, on to the Kahlua picks. Uh, grab your cans of Hawaiian Sun and that tub of Lomi Salmon. So we're going to dive right in. What's your favorite uh, Hawaiian week? Sun drink before we move on? Ooh, okay. You know... so, we get the, so we get the you know locals pick into this. So for our uh, mainland folk, uh, Hawaiian Sun is a very popular juice brand and teas as well. So we do like to have that at all times possible. So go on, Tyler, with your uh, favorite right there. You know, the classic uh, passion orange, that's always a good one. You can never go wrong with that. You know, my mom would wrap one in a paper towel and then tinfoil, put in my my field trip lunch. 
uh, you can't go wrong with that one. But what, what's yours, Tanner? I'm a big Lily Koi passion guy. I was always a passion orange boy, kind of going in because that's also usually the only one that's sold. It's probably the most popular out of them all. But if I had a choice, I think back in when I used to live in Colorado Springs, and then don't mind this big ass truck just driving through my house right now. But um, back when I was in Colorado Springs, and I found that there was an LNL drive-in right near our college, which is a, another local kind of diner place. They had all the Hawaiian sun drinks, and the first one I had to get was Lily Koi Passion. It's just like sour, it's tart, it's sweet. It's just, I think it's the perfect drink. It's the perfect drink, you know, to pick your favorite spreads for the week. So. Let's go ahead and move on to Thursday Night Football, the most riveting mashup that we could possibly think of this year. Panthers and Texans. Well, Tanner, um, the Panthers are off to a very hot start. Definitely not one of the teams I would have assumed to be 2-0 and right now. But uh, at the same time, you could say the Texans are doing pretty good. I mean, after a strong showing uh, against the Browns this past weekend, um... It honestly feels like it could be anyone's game. Kind of a bummer that they lost Tyrod Taylor. I would have loved to see him go up against that Panthers defense. But uh, Sam Donald's looking great. Uh, Looks like the spread is Carolina minus 8. I think I'm going to have to go with the safe option here and pick Carolina. They just look like a more complete team on both sides of the ball. Uh, The Texans did give up uh, quite a a bit of points to the Browns. Although I do have the Browns uh, actually winning their division and, and they are a solid team. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with the Panthers on this one. What do you think, Tanner? Now, as a person that went 0-5 last week in all my picks, I feel confident in saying I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick the Texans. Now, the Texans this year are not the Texans we thought they were going to be. Brandon Cooks is playing lights out. The defense already has way more, has, has already elapsed last year's amount of takeaways and they're just on the uh you know just just creeping up on their 2020 value and i think we could look at both their new head coach david cully who was a defensive-minded guy coming out of baltimore and their defensive coordinator a guy that a lot of people might remember lovey smith longtime chicago bear head coach and you know short time tampa bay head coach you know one of the originators of the tampa two defense I think he's proving that the Texans on defense, where they may lack a little bit of pass rush, they already are doing so amazingly on the secondary side. I think they may not win the game, but I do think they can at least make it competitive. And especially if you look... Now, Tyrod Taylor's not playing due to his injury to his hamstring, but look at his history. When he played for the Browns, he was a starter and then got hurt, and then Baker Mayfield came in, and we all know how Baker Mayfield's doing with the Browns. Next, he goes to the Chargers. Uh, A team doctor uh, stabs him in the lung. You know, what doctors do. And he's out for the year. And Justin Herbert comes in. We all know how Justin Herbert's doing. Now, Davis Mills is not a first-round quarterback. I was going to say, let's let's talk about this, Tanner. Uh, Those guys that replaced Tyrod Taylor, those guys were picked to be the future of the franchise. So True. unless you feel like Deshaun, that way about uh, Davis, then, you know. I don't think Davis Mills is a franchise quarterback, but I will think he will ride that juju 
from a Tyrod Taylor injury after being his backup, I think they will be able to cover this spread. All right. All right. Uh, looks like the first game we're talking about Sunday is everybody's favorite matchup of the weekend. Surprise, it's not a primetime game, but we've got the Buccaneers at SoFi Stadium playing the Rams. Tampa Bay is favored on the spread here by a point and a half. But um, I actually have the Rams winning this one. I know you like the Buccaneers a lot, Tanner. And uh, in my head, I assumed you would pick the Bucks, But uh, I just have more confidence in the Rams right now. I mean, they're going to be playing at home uh, in their brand new stadium. And uh, I, just, I just like what the Rams are doing. They're playing a good brand of football. And, you know, the Buccaneers are very, uh, as, they're very good as well, um, especially on offense. And, I mean, their defense is also very good. But uh, I just think that the Rams are going to just put up a, a bit more of a fight than the Buccaneers' previous two matchups. Well, like you alluded to, I am picking Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, this is the thing. Tampa has one of the best offenses in the league, and so do the Rams. Uh, they both also house both of the best defenses in the league. I think this will be a quarterback battle. This is going to be Tom Brady versus Matthew Stafford. Tom Brady will be without Antonio Brown, but I think with that, I think Tom Brady will win this matchup just solely because the fact, look, I love Matthew Stafford. I'm a Matthew Stafford stan. Uh, I will probably be buying a jersey of his very soon, but this is going to be kind of his first ever big matchup where you can't blame the team anymore. He's been in Detroit his whole life, and when he loses a close game, I think everyone can agree that it was probably because he was on the Lions. But this is going to prove whether or not Matthew Stafford is a real, one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the league, or if he's somehow become a super overrated quarterback by being super underrated, if that makes sense. So now, if the Rams I lose think... this game, Tanner, does that automatically label... Matthew Stafford, an overrated quarterback in your eyes? No, it doesn't. It's one game, but it plants the seed. If he wins, then everyone's probably going to be like, see, it was the Lions. But if he loses, then you can say, well, it was Tampa Bay. So I'm going with Tampa Bay. I just think it's going to be enough. It's just going to be the difference of the offenses. And I think they have the the slightest of edge of the LA Rams. Just because right. of Tom Brady. And going into that, let's go. It's probably going to be one of our biggest, our, our second biggest rivalry matchup. We'll be going into that one later. It's going to be the Bengals at the Steelers. The Steelers are favored by three points. Now, with this, I'm going to have to go with Pittsburgh. I am not a huge Steelers guy. They're cool. I liked Polomalu. Uh,. Big Ben is on kind of his last ropes here, and it's fairly obvious. I still think that their defense can do something. Their defense has been kind of in a little bit of trouble the last two weeks, but they're going against Joe Burrow, who did throw three interceptions on three consecutive passes last week. So we all love Joe Burrow. I don't think that's in question. I just think he still has time to grow. And they have two of the best defensive players in the league in Minka Fitzpatrick and TJ Watt. So I think that O-line is going to be tested heavily. And let's not forget, I think a piece that is always swept under the rug is veteran pass rusher Melvin Ingram, 
who is, I think, playing some really great football for his age. And I think him alongside TJ Watt is going to be a duo to be afraid of. I think I have the Steelers on this minus three. I want to make things interesting, Tanner. Uh, in the pre-show, we kind of talked about this matchup a little bit. I'm going to go with the Bengals. Uh, I do believe that Joe Burrow will have a bounce-back game. Uh, again, he is going up against, as you said, one of the best defenses in not only the AFC but the NFL. But I just I, I think that you know the Bengals. It's a it's a close game according to Vegas, and I, I think the Bengals, if they just have a little bit of luck, I think they can win this game. And just sometimes that's that's all you need. You know, to win one of these matchups. And a rivalry game, you never know what's going to happen, right? So uh, I'm going to go with the Bengals on this one. Other th- on, on nothing more than just a hunch. Uh, looks like now, the Sunday night matchup. Sorry, Tanner. The Sunday night all matchup day, you know? is the Packers at the 49ers. San Francisco is favored by three and a half. And uh, honestly, this this could be anyone's game. I'm honestly surprised that the 49ers are actually favorite at all. But um, I don't know. What do you think, Tanner? I'm going like, to wait to give my, my pick before uh, until you give yours. I think you already know my answer, personally. I'm going to have to go with that bad man, Aaron Rodgers, as Stephen A. Smith would put it. Um, he proved last <laughs> he proved this week that for week one was just uh, just a fluke. And I think... The Saints proved last week that week one was also just a fluke. Um, Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Jones showed last week that his really great season last year wasn't also just a fluke. And I'm really excited to see that Devontae Adams-Aaron Rodgers connection grow even more than what it already has. And especially with that, I don't know if you saw that, that laser he threw to Tanyan last week. Where it was just... Yes, right just, over the middle. Just, Beautiful. It's... That's just classic Aaron Rodgers. And I think with the 49ers down like three and a half of their running backs, I just am not sure that that 49ers team that barely managed to score 17 against the Eagles last week can do much against the Packers. You know, Tanner, I'm going to have to agree with you on that one. I love the Packers uh, this past weekend, and I hope I'm going to love them again. I'm going to pick the Packers as well. I know last week uh, you and I were kind of picking the same teams, but uh, I think it's safe to say that the Packers are definitely going to be the better team as long as they show up. As long as they show up and nothing strange happens, I think the Packers win actually by multiple touchdowns. So, um, yeah, there's that. Any, and I think we can confidently... About, uh, I was going to say, any thoughts about the Packers' defense that, that gives you any pause for concern, or did, did you like their performance against the uh, Detroit Lions? Um, they did good. They did fine. I think that's all Aaron Rodgers is going to need. I think as the year goes on, this defense is going to be better. They are without Zedaria Smith. I do know that. I think they were without him last week too. So right now the pass rush is very uh, minimal, but right now the offensive line for the 49ers is already playing at a super elite level. So I still think that that would have been moot in point. It's going to be quarterback difference again. And Jimmy Garoppolo is not that guy. We're just All waiting right. on Trey Lance to develop into any kind of confidence. And I think when that happens, then we can confidently have any point with the 49ers making it out. And I think with both of us picking this here, we can call that 
our confident lock of the week. Call well, I was just saying, take you know, lock of the week if, right if there. The, if the Packers come out with the same defense that they showed in the second half of the Lions game, I mean, this is just going to be a Packers blowout. Yeah. I mean, their defense made the right adjustments in the second half, and they look fantastic. So I think we've uh, beaten that one to death. Let's move on to the last <laughs> matchup of the weekend, as well as our last Kahlua pick. It's going to be the Philadelphia Eagles playing a divisional rivalry game at Jerry's World, playing the Cowboys. Dallas is favored by four. This is kind of a divisive matchup, Tanner. How are you feeling about this one? Well, if the refs show up this week, then it'll probably be the Cowboys again. But, not to digress on that, honestly, one of the worst games I've ever watched, that Chargers-Cowboys game. There's just flags everywhere. The Chargers win that game, by the way, in my opinion. But, the refs were just a little too much last week. I'm going to have to go with the Eagles. They are minus four. They are in Jerry's world. But it is with confidence that every single year, preseason, if a team is projected to be last in the NFC East, they somehow manage to win the division. Uh, I have that take from Bobby Curran, who has been watching football for a long, long, long time to know that that NFC East division is not the greatest, not the most consistent. That's why I really like the Eagles. I think, you know, they played against a really good team in San Francisco that were be- that was better than them. But I think Jalen Hurts is going to come out with a passion. I think Rager, Smith, and Goddard, they're going to come out. I feel like Dallas Goddard always seems to have a really good game against Dallas every year, especially with their uh, weaker linebackers, because I know they're moving Micah Parsons more to a pass-rushing kind of guy, which I think he would have been better as a coverage guy, but it sounds like he's getting very comfortable as a pass rusher. So um, I like the Eagles. Uh, really good defense, really solid O-line, and I think Jalen Hurts has to prove the doubters wrong here. Well, as much as I love to see the Cowboys lose, um, I don't know. I, I might have to go with Dallas on this one. But the thing is, I mean, Dallas favored by four. It's, it feels too cheap to not pick Dallas. I think it'll definitely be a one-score uh, game. I, I don't think it'll be a blowout uh, by either side. But, I mean, if you if you look at um, the divisional matchups in the past, they always play down to whatever level of football or play up. Uh, the NFC East is notorious for that. Um Whenever there's a divisional uh, rivalry game, it just feels like anyone could win coming into the fourth quarter. And so uh, I don't think that the Eagles have what it takes. I mean, again, a little bit of luck in, in these rivalry games is all it takes. But I think at home, at Jerry's World, with that with that home field advantage, I think the Cowboys are going to have uh, what it takes to uh, beat the Eagles. And I think that's our Kahlua picks for this week. And, you know, I'm very excited. Maybe I'll finally get my second uh, win here in Kahlua picks. Uh, I can confidently say I'm not a betting man. And if I were a betting man, uh, I think my I would be living with my parents for much longer than I already am. Well... Uh, it's okay, man. It's uh, anyone's anyone's week this week. Uh, we've we've definitely uh, shied away from picking the same team, and so um, may the may the luckiest and the smartest man win. 
Yeah. I just wanted to add a quick note. Um, last weekend, uh, the Chargers-Cowboys game was the first game in NFL history to go 14-11 uh, to 11 at the half. So, very interesting. In 102 seasons of the National Football League, that is the first halftime score of 14-11. to 11. A halftime scoregami is definitely interesting, but I don't think it's as interesting as a regular uh, NFL scoregami. And if anyone's interested in what a scoregami is, uh, go ahead and look that video up. There's a huge, um, I think, one of one of my most favorite videos, right? Like for uh, football content, is looking up the. So if you just go and I'm just looking it up right now, just so I can make sure I'm. Um, what's it called uh, sourcing the right person uh, they have a Twitter account as well to let you know when a scoregami happens it's whenever a score that has never happened in NFL history and of course that video comes from one of the best uh, video productions on YouTube I think in Secret Base uh, they have a lot of amazing football content coming out of that uh, channel so go ahead look up Secret Base it's called Every NFL Score Ever and they talk about scoregami it's honestly a super fun thing just to start looking into all right and uh right before we do the send-off and end the show ten i want to ask you one uh last take um i can't miss it uh, even if i'm sick i, I want to i want to make sure to get that opinion from you when you go to a crack seed store and for those on the mainland a crack seed store uh, is is basically it's like a little shop, like a like a almost like a bodega, but they specialize in selling uh, what's called crack seed. It's just like uh, either it could be preserved or salted or pickled uh, fruits, or a lot of times they would have like dried seafood. Uh, it, it's like um, shelf stable food. It, it's kind of like snacks. Not really. I wouldn't call it candy. Would you, Tanner? Um, uh, there's some candy. There's some, there's definitely some candy, but it's it's more like the savory, sour kind of stuff. But when you go to a crack seed store, Tanner, what uh, flavor of icy would you gravitate towards? Uh, and and let me make it easy for you. If we're assuming the four classic icy flavors of Coca Cola, uh, strawberry, honeydew, melon, and vanilla, what is your go-to flavor? And do you like adding the vanilla ice cream to make it a float or not? So I am going to have to confess to something here. I am not a huge icy person. Ooh, okay. But if I did have to choose, I'd probably go with honeydew melon. I'm a big honeydew kind of guy. I understand that it is one of the fruits that everyone loves to discard alongside cantaloupe of the fruit uh, salad cup. But personally... I love honeydew melon and cantaloupe. I love those fruits, and I look forward to eating them whenever I see a fruit cup. So I feel like I would go with the honeydew melon. If not that, if I was a kid, I'd probably go with, like, the Coke Icy. I thought you were going to go with, like, what was your favorite go-to for just, like, kind of cracksy kind of stuff. Well, how about that? What is I mean, your, if that, I just have to go with anything snack? with Lee Hing Moy. Anything with Lee Hing Moy, it's this – I don't even know how to describe it's it. It's it's plum. It's it's. I assume it's Chinese, right? I I would it's, also assume. That. I think so. I, I... It's super. It's like sour. It's tart. It's this powder. 
uh, uh, it goes a lot with like we those uh, sour belts or like the strawberry belts that you get just like regular candy. You just plop that right on there, and it's just it's awesome. Uh, I think Andrew Zimmern did like a really funny video where he was talking about Li Moi. It's honestly one of my favorite uh, flavors of anything when it has to go with like candy or anything, especially as a kid. But I'm going to wrap that right at you. What about you, Tyler? Because I feel like you have a much better answer than I do. Well, I mean, if you like the... I mean, do you enjoy Malona bars, like Malona ice cream? Ish. If you enjoy Depends something on the like that, I would, I would recommend to you the Honeydew Icy with a scoop of vanilla ice cream on the inside. That sounds uh, very the good. The flavor combination is very good. Uh, as a kid, I would definitely go for the classic uh, strawberry with ice cream. But I haven't had an icy in actually a really long time, so maybe uh, when I come home this winter, we should uh, go and grab a couple just to see what it's like for old time's sake. Just see what uh, In terms of the cracked seed, my favorite one is kind of an expensive one. It is the dried scallops. Um, they're not as big as normal scallops that you would eat at like a restaurant, so they're not that expensive. But usually they're about $17 a pound for these baby scallops. They're dried um, completely, and they're very hard. So you have to kind of like chew on them like gum. And um, yeah, you, at, at a certain point, they kind of lose their flavor just like gum. So you, you normally like spit them out. And so it's kind of gross. They smell horrible. But just that salty umami flavor is just so potent that uh, it's one of the best uh, crack seed store snacks in my opinion. Yeah, I'm definitely not trying that because I will die if I actually eat that. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, an allergy would would do that to you, Tanner. Yeah. Um. Well, I think that's yeah. been a really solid week. Anything you want to shout out as before we head out? Um, nothing in particular. I, I guess shout out to my parents for uh, keeping me company on the phone while I've been sick for these past couple of nights. Uh, I miss you guys a lot, and also my sister and my dog. I definitely miss you guys too. But um. Nah, I'm having a great time up here. Uh, hopefully this cold passes so I can uh, be back to full full strength. But uh, anything you want to shout out, Tanner? I definitely want to shout out, I think, uh, I think you know, just friends in general, especially you. I feel like right now a lot of stuff is happening in the world that, you know, may not necessarily, whether it be things you don't agree with, things that leave us in kind of a manner of we don't really know why things are happening. I think that's what's so special about friends and family is that we have them to, you know, kind of make sure we got a base built. We can come back to that base whenever we're questioning anything. And I'm also very excited as near the end of October, I will be actually making a trip out to East Lansing, visiting you as we both have our birthdays about two weeks from each other. Now, I when I turn on my birthday I will be turning 22 and then on your birthday you're going to be turning 21 so for about two yeah. weeks I'm going to be two years older than you yeah that that does seem to be the case uh, I, I was not held back a year so uh, I'm definitely the, I was so. the youngest <laughs> so I think all in all that was a really solid week uh, you know started off a little bit of rough times with San Jose State and Hawaii but yeah i hope everyone has a really great weekend you know have everyone stay safe you know wash your hands and all that stuff make sure you don't get sick like this dumbass yeah, don't, here. don't stay up till four watching a sad football game don't do that 
Alrighty, well, thank you guys very much for listening. That is the 50th Take Podcast. Thank you guys very much for listening and have a great one.